Thank you, Judy. I am on the missions team. Wouldn't you rather be on a team than in an apartment? That sounds a lot more fun, doesn't it? It's been my privilege to be a part of the Dorisville Baptist Church all day today. I actually got in town last night and so was able to worship with you all uh, this morning. I had to go home. I'd never, uh, I had never heard your pastor preach before. And uh, he is one of the most energetic, animated pastors I have ever seen. He asked me, he asked me if I got, had to go home and take a nap this afternoon. And I said, yes, watching you made me so tired. I had to take a nap just because of watching you. Uh, I, it was a joy to be in your worship services today. And I was also able to attend one of your Sunday school classes. I won't tell you which one. But they, uh, I went to the class. They told me to come in. They sat me down. They tied me to a chair. They interrogated me for five minutes. They decided I was okay, and they told me I could stay. And now, uh, Brother Dwayne, is that the normal welcome process uh, at Dorisville Baptist Church? I needed to report that back to the state office. I just wanted to make sure I knew if that was special for me or normal. So... Anyway, I've heard many good things about your church and uh, was really looking forward to being part of this day with you as we focus on the hunger ministry and the World Hunger Fund in particular. Uh, Many years ago, actually almost about 30 years ago, I graduated from seminary and began my first ministry position. And I was a youth minister at a church on the coast uh, in the state of Virginia. And I was so eager and excited about serving God in a full-time way as a youth minister. And I had lots of exciting and fascinating ideas. At least I thought they were exciting and fascinating ideas. And I remember that one of the early events that I did with our youth, I announced that there was going to be a youth fellowship after a Sunday evening worship service, just like tonight. And I announced that we would be feeding them dinner as a part of the fellowship. So the time came for the fellowship, and the kids started coming in. And as they walked in the door of the fellowship hall, each of the teenagers received a number, number one, two, three, or four. And that determined where they would sit for their meal that night. And it came time to serve the meal, and the waiters and waitresses came out with the food for table number one, and uh, they came out and served table number one with a nice big steak, a baked potato, and a great big piece of cherry pie. And I mean, they were pumped. In fact, everyone in the room was pumped. They thought this was a great deal. And it came time for table number two to be served, and when table number two was served, they were served a bowl of chili and a package of crackers. They were not so pumped. Then it came time for table number three. Table number three also received a bowl. In their bowl was a small amount of cold rice. And then table number four, they didn't receive anything. In fact, they never got any food that night, and they went home hungry. Now, there was a lot of grumbling going on, especially table number three and number four. But we had a discussion and began to talk about world hunger and and the unfairness of why some people are born into situations not of their own choosing, but they fight and struggle with hunger all of their lives, and how some other people like us 
are born in America where most of us eat pretty well compared to the rest of the world. And it was overall a very good evening, and the ones that grumbled kind of got over it, and they went home happy. I felt good. Uh, and then, would any of you like to guess what happened the next morning? That morning, I had, I think, four and maybe five phone calls from angry mothers. They were upset that their child did not get any food at the fellowship. And I started to go into what we were trying to teach and what we were trying to accomplish. And I realized they really weren't interested in the point of what we were trying to teach at all. Their only concern was the fact that their child got nothing to eat and they wanted to let me know they were displeased about that. And so I listened and <laughs> went home that day drooping a little bit, but it made me wonder, what if those parents were like the parents of many people around the world whose children go to bed hungry like that, not just one Sunday night after church, but every night, night after night. And that is more common around the world and in America than what we realize today. The I looked up in a dictionary the word hunger, and interesting definitions when we read these to you, two or three definitions. Hunger is a craving or an urgent need for food or specific nutrient. It's also defined as an uneasy sensation occasioned by the lack of food and a weakened condition brought, along, brought about by prolonged lack of food. Hunger is no respecter of geography or ethnic group. Hunger takes place in Central and Eastern Europe. It takes place in the deserts of the Sahara. It takes place in Africa. And it takes place in the rural farmlands of America. Hunger is all over the world. Experts say that if we're really to understand world hunger, we need to think about it in three different forms. First of all, hunger, the most severe kind of hunger, is, is called starvation or acute hunger. It is the kind of hunger that we see on TV in third world countries, the kind of hunger that moves us, that draws, us, uh, draws our emotions, makes us cry, and often causes us to make donations to help these hungry people. The second kind of hunger is less severe, but it is day-to-day -day malnutrition. Some people call it chronic hunger. It usually doesn't lead to death, but it is a serious issue. Chronic hunger dulls the ability of children to learn in school, and it limits the productivity of adults and weakens the immune system of aged adults. Some of you may have been or are now teachers, and you've seen that take place in classrooms where children come to school hungry, and they don't function well because... The greatest need in their life is hunger, not to learn how to add. The third category of hunger that experts tell us is called food insecurity. That's kind of a new phrase to me. I'd never heard that phrase until recently. People who face food insecurity may not develop signs of clinical malnutrition, but they are at risk to hunger on a regular basis. They may depend on food pantries. Sometimes they scavenge for food in trash bins and other places. They often are dependent upon emergency food sources to stay nourished. Literally millions of Americans, not just international people, but millions of Americans 
experience food insecurity every month. Now, as Christians, if we are serious about God's Word, the malnourished and the hungry are our problem. Sometimes we don't take that seriously, but those who are afflicted with this issue in their life are made in the image of God. And we as believers are called to respond and help meet the needs of these people. I do want to show you some pictures tonight. Ronnie, if you would start that. And uh, some information. I'll confess to you that some of the things I'm going to share with you tonight are just facts and information. I've learned it's hard to share facts and information without being boring, but we're going to do our best, all right? Uh, Because I think some of these things are helpful for you as a church to know. Uh, first of all, Southern Baptists, as a, con- as a denomination, are meeting people's both physical and spiritual needs. That's always been our history as Southern Baptists. Next slide. The SBC were making a difference in the world, and gifts for world hunger through the World Hunger Fund in 2008 helped us carry out projects in 68 different countries around the world. This slide talks about bringing bread for the body and the bread of life to those in need. It's a combination as a ministry of Southern Baptists. Next slide. Some statistics on world hunger. Around the world, an estimated 854 million people are hungry. It's really hard to fathom. It just really is. But... uh, 854 million, approximately every day, 16,000 children die from hunger-related causes. I think of the emotions of those parents that I worked with whose child missed one meal. And multiply that times this much, 16,000 children die every day from hunger. And you know the pain and agony that this causes. Next slide. Also some statistics about American hunger. 12.4 million children live in households where people have to skip meals or eat less to make ends meet. Nearly half of all households headed by a single mother are food insecure. That's more common than I realize. In our nations, one in four people in a soup kitchen line is a child, and that's a sad thing. Next slide. Hunger and malnutrition remain a serious problem in every corner of the globe, including here at home. I could talk a lot about international statistics, but one of the the things Judy asked me to talk about tonight, and I really had to do some additional study for this, is how does the World Hunger Fund that you give to impact America and particularly our state of Illinois? And uh, I am looking forward to sharing some of those statistics with you. But before I do that, let's take a, a glance at the next uh, slide and look at how we've done as Southern Baptists over the past 10 years. This is a very interesting graph. Uh, about 10 years ago in the year 2000, we as Southern Baptists gave through the World Hunger Fund $9.4 million. And from that point over the next decade, we have decreased in our giving through the World Hunger Fund to $5.8 million. Now, if you are a business owner and this was a graph of the productivity of your business, you would be concerned. There's something wrong about this. I wish I knew all the reasons why that is taking place. Next slide. But I really don't. I know that some of the reasons are that we as Christian leaders and pastors and church leaders particularly 
have quit carrying the ball. I believe people like you respond when your pastor and your leaders challenge you in this area. It is extremely common today for churches to just totally bypass the, the topic of world hunger and the World Hunger, hunger Fund. It doesn't even hit some of their top tens during the year. And that's the reason why we're looking at what we're doing. Ten years ago, the average active Southern Baptist, that means a person who is coming to church on Sunday, not just on your rolls, but the active Southern Baptist average gave $1.70 a year to the World Hunger Fund. Today, it's $0.94, cents, less than a dollar. Next slide. This is interesting. If every active Southern Baptist gave $2 this year, our hunger gifts would rise 112%. percent $5, 431%, $10, 961%. It wouldn't take a lot to transform this problem significantly. And it starts with each church and each individual like you all in this church. Next slide. So what does the Bible have to say about world hunger? I really could spend about 30, 40 minutes talking to you about world hunger and what the Bible says. Two scriptures here. It says, If you offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night shall be like noonday. It was an Old Testament concept and a challenge to the Old Testament people. Also in Deuteronomy, For there will never cease to be poor people. That's certainly true. That is why I am commanding you, God says, you must willingly open your hand to the afflicted and the poor brother in your land. There's very similar scriptures in the New Testament. Let me read just one. It's one of my favorites. 1 John 3.17. This is a convicting verse. If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts off his compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, we must not love with our word or with our tongue, but in deed and truth. New Testament and Old Testament give us scriptural commands that we are to care for the needy and the hungry. Next slide. The question at the bottom of this slide is, do people really go hungry in America? We're often pretty naive and we drive around in areas of... uh, Affluence, and we think, well, that's not really that serious of a problem in America, and if it is, I'm sure someone's taking care of that problem. But it's much more common than we realize. More than 35 million Americans, that, this phrase again, are food insecure, hungry or at risk for hunger. Over half of the families that need a food pantry have children under 18 in the home. An estimated 15% of poor families have to choose between buying food and paying their rent or their mortgage. That is, a, that is a choice that I would hope we would never have to make. But it is becoming a more and more common choice in the age that we live in today. Next slide. <clears throat> there are several statistics here from the North American Mission Board. Uh, in 2009, over 5 million meals were, were prepared and fed to the hungry in North America, our country, with Southern Baptist gifts to the Hunger Relief, the World Hunger Fund, which you gave to today. The gospel was shared over 785,000 times because of those opportunities provided through Hunger Ministries with more than 36,000 people professing faith in Christ. I'll share some statistics about our state and Illinois and some of the things I can share with you there. 
It's a problem in America. Next slide. One of the questions that sometimes I hear from leaders, church leaders and pastors, and especially church members, is why give to the World Hunger Fund? Your pastor mentioned some of these things this morning. Every dollar you give goes to the field. No money is taken out for promotion, for facilities, and all of these other things. When you see an advertisement on television for another kind of hunger fund, I would never say those are bad things to donate to, but by the very nature of who they are, someone had to pay to get that promotion on TV for you to see it. Did you know that? And there are people employed by that. With the Southern Baptist Convention, when you give to the World Hunger Fund, those salaries, those promotional fees and things are paid through other means. They're not paid out of your money. So when you give a $50 bill or a $100 bill or whatever you give, every nickel goes to care for hungry people or for projects that help to solve the hunger issues with people in America and around the world. That's probably one of the most impressive things about the World Hunger Fund that makes me thankful that we can give directly to it. Another uh, area of, as far as giving to the World Hunger Fund is that Southern Baptists, of course, combine direct evangelism with feeding people uh, the food that they need to survive. And another interesting thing, a reason why we give to the World Hunger Fund Southern Baptist is that uh, you have heard the phrase, if you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, and if you teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. That is a part of the philosophy of Southern Baptist World Hunger Funds. There is some direct feeding, in fact, a lot that takes place, but not only are we looking to evangelize through that, but we are looking to teach, particularly in other countries, We are looking to teach strategies of how to get clean water, of how to grow their own food. I was actually a part of some friends that did this kind of work in the country of Haiti where they were teaching people agriculture and how to raise goats and chickens and things like that to be able to feed themselves for longer than these individual gifts could take place. That is a part of our strategy, and that doesn't always take place in other places where you give money to. Those are all good reasons to give. Next slide. Dollar in, dollar out is exactly what happens when you give your money to the World Hunger Fund. Next slide. This one's a little hard for you to read. It says, how are the World Hunger Funds used in Illinois? This is very interesting. Uh, There is a process that takes place. If you will remember, I think that was mentioned this morning. If not, I'll say it now. When, when you give $100 to the World Hunger Fund, $80 goes to international causes outside of the United States. $20 goes to our country, and some of that comes to our state of Illinois. So how does that work? How does the 20% distributed? Next slide. Now, I am personally involved. I wear a lot of hats at IBSA. In fact, every day I come in and change my hat and start doing a different job. But one of my jobs specifically is the World Hunger Fund and distributing this fund. So I'm personally involved with the things I'm getting ready to explain to you today. Each quarter, the Illinois Baptist State Association receives $17,000 
from World Hunger Funds for Feeding Ministries led by Illinois Baptist Church. That multiplies out to $68,000 a year. So of that 20% that goes to North American causes, that is the amount this year that comes to our state, $68,000. But let's stick with the quarter. I want you to kind of get a snapshot of what happens in one quarter. 17000 each quarter comes to our state and in essence comes to our office at the Illinois Baptist State Association. All right? I call that the big pot. All right? There is a second pot. And let's see the next slide. The next slide says that there is also, we receive $5,000 in special grant money from the Texas Baptist Convention. Texas Baptists, I'm not sure for how long they've been doing it, but they designate special money for some of the large cities in America. And Chicago is one of those cities. So every quarter they send also to our office $5,000 from the Texas Baptist Convention. Don't ever say bad things about Texans again. $5,000 to our convention, and it is designated for hunger needs in the city of Chicago. All right? Now, there's a couple of our slides that are, uh, they just barely get on the screen or they don't get on the screen. I asked our sound guy, Ronnie, if he would come up and push them up there so you could see. And he said that was above his pay grade. So we're going to, I'm just going to help you to see what's written on there. All right. Next year, and this is not good news, but next year, Texas has already informed us that they will have to reduce those gifts to us by 25%. In other words, this year in 2010, they are sending us a total of $20,000. Next year, they're sending us a total of $15,000, also distributed every quarter. All right? So we have a big pot and a little pot. The big pot's $17,000. The little pot's $5,000 in 2010. And um, let me say just a word about the big pot, because this is also very interesting. Um, I received this letter, timely, very interesting, this week from the North American Mission Board, there's a lady there that communicates with each state about their funding. And she wrote me this letter this week. She said, October is usually the month I request your hunger fund needs for the following year. With the decrease in receipts, and then in parentheses she says, we're currently 20% lower than this time last year. I'm holding off 2011 plans until the World Hunger Day offering comes in next month. In other words, she's saying, we're concerned that at this time right now, and she's talking this week, what we've received so far is 20% less than last year. And you remember last year was already at the bottom of the chart. So she's saying, we are counting on and praying for Southern Baptists to come through so that they can still continue to give us the amount that they're giving us this year, that big pot of $17,000 a quarter. If we as Southern Baptists don't come through, that will also be diminished. And that's just the reality of the economy and what we're dealing with. So those are the two pots, anyway, that totaled $22,000. Next slide. Each quarter, IBSA churches that need financial assistance with their hunger ministry, send reports and financial requests to our missions team office. Those come to me primarily and to my ministry assistant. And this is, again, something that some people don't understand. 
Churches that have hunger ministries are all over the state. But some of them are able to fund and establish and take care of their own hunger ministries without needing help. There are other churches that because of the economy or because of the number of people that are responding in their area to the needs of hunger, they simply aren't able to meet the needs that God is sending to them. And so they send a request to us at the Illinois Baptist State Association and say, could we apply to receive some of the world hunger funds? Okay? That's how it works. Then there are about 40 churches right now in Illinois that apply to us each quarter to receive some of those funds that come from the World Hunger Fund that you donated to today. So, each quarter, churches make requests to us. Next slide. The quarterly requests that we receive are normally about four to 5000 more than the amount we have to, that word was left out, distribute. All right? Big pot, little pot, total 22000 It is typical that we receive requests of about 26000 27000 from these churches that ask for help. It kind of reminds me of when I was young and my kids said, let's go get ice cream. And I said, okay. And they say, Dad, let's get a double dip of ice cream. And I looked in my wallet, and I'm a youth minister, and I don't make much money. And I said, we can get ice cream, but we can only get single dips. We have to get single dips. It was just the reality of it, all right? It's the same process. Churches say we need help. Could you supply us with this amount of funds? And we make the decisions. Next slide. Uh, as to how this takes place. Let me see if I can get the words on this one to you. The mission team makes decisions on how to most effectively distribute the money that is sent to us. Each church that applies to us for this aid has to turn in, not only for us, but for the North American Mission Board, a detailed report of their ministry. They have to turn in how many people they fed, how many volunteers they used, how many new volunteers were trained, how many times the gospel was presented, were people saved during this time, were people baptized. So there's this whole report that takes place at each of the churches. Now, if the churches don't send reports to us, we just have to assume they're not serious. Because if they're serious enough to fill out these reports and turn them into us on a consistent basis, we know that they're serious enough to do a good job with the money that we send to them. All right? And then we make those distributions. Often the decisions are made based on how many people they're feeding, how well they're doing with evangelism. All of those kinds of things come into effect, and we're able to distribute those, that money, that $22,000 to the churches, and they carry out the ministry. Next slide. One of the results of the ministry of the World Hunger Funds in Illinois. So I'm going to really, I'm going to try to give you two pictures of this. And I'm going to call it the little picture and the big picture. All right? The little picture of what these funds are doing in Illinois it has to do with some individual stories. And uh, my eyes are getting a little older, so I'm going to have to use my glasses for these. These are some individual stories that periodically people that request these funds just tell us about what God's doing. They know that we want to hear. They know that periodically we share with the local churches. Do you know that the people who receive the benefit of your giving really aren't able to stand up here and say thank you? And that's what I'm doing tonight. 
by sharing these things with you, and particularly by sharing some of these stories. All right? Letter from a church. We have examined many examples of how people's needs are being met by the money we receive from IBSA. Now, it's not IBSA's money. It's World Hunger Fund money that you give. Recently, we received a call from a woman who said they did not have any food and no way to come to church to our pantry. It says, I delivered the food and found a woman with three children and her father who was disabled. The children came out to my car and helped me carry the food in and then started going through the bags. They were excited about some of the most simple and regular food items that we are able to give out. Many times people tell us they don't know what they would do if it wasn't for the food that we provide. All of the first users of our pantry are asked if they have a church home and invited to our services and are given gospel tracts, feeding and distribution. Next letter. We typically feed 37 to 48 families twice a month. These families call on Tuesday and pick up their groceries on Wednesday. There's a short devotion given by members and our pastor, and each month we list an item for the food pantry and our members the second, they, we list an item in the bulletin, just like you all have a bulletin, and we ask members to bring this particular item or two for the food pantry. Our members are good to bring these items to help keep our food pantry stocked. One of our hunger ministry workers uh, met a lady named Nancy who came to get groceries and said she would like to come to the church, but she had no transportation. I think she had walked to the church for the food. One of our hungry ministry workers helped her to get picked up and she continues to come to our church today. Another lady, a divorced mother of two teenage girls, utilized our food pantry until she got a job and got her girls through high school. This whole family goes to our church now and the teenagers as well as the mother was involved in our church. Another letter One family that we feed doesn't have a car. There is a mother and a grown daughter. They lost their jobs, their car, and they're about to lose their house. We give them extra food each month. They are deeply appreciative in what we give give them, and it sometimes determines whether they eat or not. Another letter, we have been blessed to serve over 300 people in our community. The homeless and drug addicted are receiving food and the Word of God. We have noticed small but significant changes in their attitude toward God and spiritual things. It's an inner city ministry. This one is personal to you. Uh, It was written by, I think, some lady or some of the ladies from Ural's church who visit the Uptown Baptist ministry, the Marketplace WMU ministry. It says, We met an Indian woman in need and in tears Sunday at the McDonald's across the street from the Uptown Baptist Church. We invited her to Our Lady's Day. This young woman is now going to a Sunday school class every Sunday, and their teacher continues to mentor her. It feels like we made a difference. Such a blessing. We met physical, emotional, and spiritual needs all at the same time. That's some of your own people. Next letter, we have started a worship and a prayer service with our Feed the Hungry ministry. Some of these people have given their life over to Christ and confessed their sins. They wanted to be made whole again, free from drugs and prostitution. Pray for us as we feed these people and evangelize. Last one, fairly close to home to you all, I think in Carterville, Illinois, this area. 
It's a ministry that I just learned out not, not too long ago, and we are beginning to support them through World Hunger Funds called the Gumdrops Ministry. Anyone heard of that? Some of you have? Uh, many schools provide a free breakfast and lunch program at their school, but it only covers the children's nutritional need during the week. The Gumdrop Baptist gumdrop backpack program fills these needs, providing these at-risk children a backpack with nutritious food for the weekends. We are trying to keep up with the demand from the school districts wanting our program for their children. In 2008, when this ministry began, gumdrops began as a project through the WMU at First Baptist Carlinville. They started by feeding 12 children. It quickly grew. We finished, they says, we finished the past year, meaning the spring of this last spring, uh, in four different counties, seven school districts, and 16 schools. In our first year, for the whole school year, it says we distributed 756 food backpacks. Last year, meaning the year that ended last spring, we distributed approximately 13,000 backpacks through the public schools to at-risk children. This year, again, they are trying to meet the demand, and they say, we think that soon we may have the opportunity to distribute as many as 1,000 backpacks each week. That's an amazing story that takes place. Now, they don't get all their funding from us. They're very creative in their funding, but they are getting some significant amounts from us, meaning from you, as giving to the World Mission Fund and the needs that that's meeting right here in southern Illinois. Next slide. Here's the big picture now. Remember I said the little picture? little picture was individual stories that we receive about lives that are changed help with food, but also evangelistically. Some interesting things about the big picture now. I want to, I'm trying to give you now not a, a giant picture, but a one-quarter big picture, all right? And this is recent. During the third quarter, what we just finished in 2010, there were approximately 40 churches that we worked with giving funds, and they reported the following cumulative report. Next slide. In one quarter... This was the report. This is the cumulative reports that we received. 904 ministry volunteers involved in hunger ministry. In other words, almost 1,000 of our people in Illinois were involved in ministry in these 40 churches. Understand, these are just the 40 churches that we support through the World Hunger Fund. 77 new volunteers were trained, so it's constantly new people are trained to be involved in this ministry. Over 4,000 tracts distributed, over 30,000 meals and individuals were served in one three-month period through those 40 churches. Next slide. Eternal results. In one quarter, this is the cumulative report that we received, 2,932 evangelistic encounters, 93 professions of faith, and 56 baptisms within these churches took place directly from the hunger ministries that these churches sponsored. And those are, it's a snapshot of the big picture, what's going on in Illinois Baptist churches who are receiving your funds from the World Hunger Fund. Next slide. 
The question here then, while you were viewing these images, an estimated 36 children somewhere in the world died. Actually, a little more than that because I have a long presentation. Uh, the question, what are you going to do about it? That's the question. What are we going to do about it? And that's a question that is sometimes difficult to answer. As, as I thought about that, one of the things as I began to do some study in the Scripture, an interesting thing I learned from the Bible is that the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament had strategies to reduce hunger. Had you ever thought about that? There are strategies in both the Old Testament and the New Testament to reduce hunger in the times that these people lived. Let me share with you just a few examples. In Leviticus chapter 19, this is called the Law of Gleaning. The Bible says, Now when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest, nor shall you glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather the fallen fruit of your vineyard. In other words, when things fall on the ground, you're not supposed to pick them up. You shall leave them for the needy and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Do you remember where this was illustrated in a different book of the Bible? The book of Ruth. Ruth gleaned in the field of Boaz. That's this law that we see in the book of Leviticus. She was gleaning in the field, and Boaz had such compassion on her that he had his men not only let her glean, but he said, take out some extra stuff and throw it on the ground in front of her because he was impressed with her. And eventually Ruth got her man, <laughs> Boaz. So that's a great story. The law of gleaning is a strategy in the Old Testament, how to reduce hunger. Another strategy is called the sabbatical year. In Exodus, you shall sow your land for six years and gather in its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow so that the needy of your people may eat and whatever they leave, the beast of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive groves. Six years you planted and harvested your crops. The seventh year you let it alone, and whatever grew you weren't supposed to harvest. You were supposed to allow the poor people to come and gather that food. It was a strategy to reduce hunger in the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? One of my favorite parables, of course, is Jesus. I love his strategy. Jesus began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had the need of healing. Now the day was ending and the twelve disciples came to Jesus and said, Send this crowd away so that they may go into the surrounding villages because we are in a desolate place. And Jesus said to them, You feed them. Isn't that great? Jesus said, You guys take over. You feed these people. And of course, he knew they didn't have any way to do this. And then uh, the disciples said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then Jesus moves into action. He takes the little that they had, and then he starts giving instructions. And he has this organizational plan. Judy, I've heard you are the queen of organization. Jesus was an organizer. And in this scripture, you see it. He says... Have the people gather in groups of 50. So he says, you need to do it this way. 
and then bring the, the bread and the fish to me, and I'll pray. Let's see what God does. And then come gather together and distribute it with the, the baskets. And then he even had a plan for the leftovers. The whole plan was strategized by Jesus, and they had 12 baskets left over. It was a strategy, Jesus' strategy. There are a couple of other New Testament strategies that I won't read, but you may remember in the book of Acts, uh, in the New Testament church, they brought their possessions together and sold them, and whatever person was in need received help from one another. It's an example that we're supposed to do within our own churches to meet the needs of people within our own church. And then there's another example in the book of Acts where there was to be a famine in Jerusalem and the churches outside Jerusalem came together and gathered an offering in the different cities, gave it to Paul and Barnabas to send to the church in Jerusalem because of the hunger situation that they were getting ready to face. Do any of you remember the strategy, the hunger strategy of Joseph in the book of Genesis? Seven years prosperous years. Then there were seven years of famine. Joseph had this whole strategy to come up with. And it was so impressive to the Pharaoh that he made him the second most powerful man in Egypt to save the food for seven years to be able to feed the people over the next seven years. It was a strategy. All through the Bible, you have examples of strategies to feed the hungry. So to answer the question on the screen, what are we going to do about it? I would ask any church... What is your strategy? The Bible is an example of that. We should have a strategy. If you ask most churches that, they would perhaps not have an answer at all, or they might say, we give a token effort to the World Hunger Fund, and that's our strategy. And that's just completely inadequate. That's not going to get the job done. An effective strategy would include not only giving to the World Hunger Fund, but also becoming personally involved with ministry to the poor and the hungry people. Now, speaking to you all, I'm aware and I feel like that it's a little like preaching to the choir, Pastor. I know that you all are doing many of these things that I'm talking about. I heard about your church from the, ba from the Baptist building before I even came here. You all have a reputation of um, mission heart, and a heart to reach your community and the world for Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. But churches like you that are doing many good things, that doesn't mean you're at the level that God wants you to be at. In other words, as a church who's doing many good things in this area, it's very easy to become satisfied and complacent with where we are right now. God is always, when we're sensitive to Him, He is always looking for us to be ready to move to the next level and to the new challenge that He has for us. And I believe that's something that you should be asking yourself as a church, so what's the next step? An example of that is what I just read to you about the Gumdrop Kids ministry. If I was doing a ministry like that that started out feeding 12 children and within a couple of years was feeding maybe 500 children, I think I would just retire happy about glad about what God did through me. And they didn't stop there. They moved on to where this year they think they may be able to feed as many as 1,000 people. That is a visionary mindset that most individuals, even many pastors, just do not have. 
And let me challenge you as a church to be asking you that question. Even though we're doing good things, what's the next step? What more might God have us to do? Because the Scripture says in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He's always ready to help us move to the next level. We just have to be willing to dream some new dreams with Him. And I hope you'll do that. Let me close with one of my favorite scriptures, uh, Brother Dwayne. This is a scripture that I take with me on almost every mission trip I've been on. In fact, I usually ask the team, if I'm the team leader, to memorize this verse as they go on a mission trip. And it's Psalms chapter 90, verse 17. Psalms 90 is the only psalm that's written by Moses. Most of the psalms are written by David. And the last verse in Psalms chapter 90 says, And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and do confirm for us the work of our hands. Now that word confirm is a very interesting word, and literally what it means is to give permanence to. In other words, the work of your hands, what this prayer means is, Lord, may the work of our hands have eternal blessings, that it would be permanent, that it wouldn't be something just temporary. All right, let me read that verse to you one more time as we close. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and do confirm for us the work of our hands. And then he repeats it. Yes, confirm, give permanence to the work of our hands. May God do that to your lives and to the ministries that you're involved in. Amen.